0: All right, I think we're officially back on. We had a couple technical difficulties, but we're going to rock it now. Welcome to the True Well show. I'm your host Dave Littlejohn. Joining me in studio,
1: Justin Brugman,
0: And we have got you on a Tunday. Remember Tunday, that's when we take Monday off and you think, "No, no, no, it could be fun if we joined it together with Tuesday." No, no, then you get a ton of work when you cram two days into Tuesday. That's right. So, welcome to the Tunday. Uh, but I, I to me this is sort of like uh, the official tip of the hat. Like summer's over, we're kind of getting back into the swing. Uh, and you, Justin, kids back in school. Kids back
1: in school today.
0: Kids back. Now mine started last week. I'm not sure where the stagger came from, but you guys uh, got to go post Labor Day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I Feel like that? it's feels like Labor Day to Memorial Day is like the magic, and then you know after Labor Day, it's school. Right, it, I mean, we're we're in it, but after Memorial Day, you start tapping your toe and thinking like, "What are we doing here?" What, you know, we're still, we're just waiting for the end. Yeah,
1: it's summertime by that point.
0: It is, it is. So now, of course, we have this uh, summer that I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I'd be okay with some rain.
1: I want some rain. <laughs> I, mean,
0: I am over the smoke. Uh, Uh, Of course, all of us local here, if you're listening on our podcast or if you're listening out of area, you won't get this the same. But folks local, we're over the smoke and uh, we could think of better ways to manage forest fires. Right. Uh, Because it seems to me like on federal forest land, the management methodology is set up camps and watch like, well, okay. (laughs) Uh, private sector has a different different version of forest management than like hey let's build up fuels for decades and then watch it all go crispy right anyway we'll we'll let's not touch that one uh you know Justin I had you and you and Matt were covering this show a few weeks ago
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you talked about budgets yes right and do you remember which budget you talked about
1: that was a 70 30 20 budget
0: that doesn't even make sense no it'd have to be 50 right 50 20
1: 30 50 20
0: 30 70 20 30 i'm like oh so you're borrowing yeah borrowing okay this so so dave ramsey does not approve right (laughs) okay (laughs) and and the biggie on the concept there is was what
1: just to create a budget to which you have the big part of your budget was for your expenses and things like that then you're saving or 20% or so, and then 10% was for either giving or more savings or to debt management, anything like that.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's kind of live on half and then use the other half sort of proportionately to save with intention, give with intention, and then any other discretionary. Correct. Okay. So so the fifth is because budgets, you know, you can kind of build them up. The federal government does this too, by the way. But, again, that's a good way to, you know, kick a hornet's nest is to start talking about government budgets. But the concept (laughs) is you have two types of spending, discretionary spending and non-discretionary spending. Right. Right. Now, I would suggest that what we view as non-discretionary, sometimes we cheat on that. Okay, yes. Like we'll rationalize mm-hmm. things and try to call them non-discretionary. Right. You know, well, I have to get that stereo. Okay. No, you don't. Okay. You have to have food, shelter, and basic security. Yes. But this is a- an interesting lesson. You know, it it really shocks some people. I have I a buddy of mine who's been doing this for a long time. Really smart guy. And he told me it was just a paradigm shift. He read, uh, have you ever read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad?
1: I have not. I'm in the process of reading it.
0: Okay. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the author, this is a book that's like 20 years old. Okay. The author's name is Robert Kiyosaki. Okay. And if you go and listen to to Robert Kiyosaki, first, I think he's a smart guy, right? And he's done real well, but he's also, uh, it kind of surprises you because he's got, you know, a really professional side, but he's also got you know, like a, a kind of a crass side to him too, where you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. You know, he's he's kind of a get real a little gravelly with the way he comes, like a lot of grit. Well, he's the one that uh, talks in the book about assets versus liabilities and where you spend your money. And what happens is a lot of us, and, and maybe you out there listening, this might be you, so you may need to kind of pump the brakes and, and evaluate and examine, like, is this me? is that people will purchase liabilities instead of assets because they don't recognize the difference. Okay. Okay. So first of all, what's an asset, generally speaking?
1: Something you own.
0: Yeah, and something that should appreciate in value. Correct. Right? If you buy it, it should be worth more in the future. Now, there. this is the big controversy from Kiyosaki is, is your home an asset? So he, sure, arg- he argues no. Okay. He argues that it is not. Um, I disagree with him. But I think there's a third category between asset and liability that we I'll, I'll bring up here. but So what's a liability?
1: You owe somebody else money. You yeah. don't own
0: it. You owe somebody else. or Well, well I mean, is a stereo an asset or a liability?
1: It's an empty asset, I guess you could call it. I guess em- it would hold value, maybe.
0: So I I suppose it depends, but typically speaking, consumer electronics are something that declines in value over time, like a newer, cooler something or other comes out. Unless you're into like really classic high-end equipment with tube amplifiers and stuff that sort of audiophile gear, maybe that holds its value. But now you're talking about a specialty deal, right? Right. It's like cars depreciate in value unless you happen to have a rare collector's item and it might appreciate so but then is it really a car anymore? Because you do you drive the rare collector item?
1: Uh, probably not as much.
0: Right? I mean, often no, because you're risking it being damaged or destroyed. And then your asset is gone, right? Okay. So it starts to take on different characteristics because it's becoming an asset. So you could see why this is a little tricky for people as folks will want to rationalize an asset. Or, mm-hmm. or, or a liability and call it an asset, right? right? Um, it, you know, if you go get a travel trailer, is that an asset?
1: Probably more of a liability.
0: Right? Now, it doesn't mean <laughs> well, it's not fun, right. right? If you go get snowmobiles or quads or something like that, you're buying something that's dropping in value. Right. Now, you out there, there's a bunch of you right now they are going, yeah, but they're fun and they're awesome and we get to do all this stuff and we make all these family memories and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, look, don't tell me something's an asset when it's a liability. Just say, I'm willing to own the liability. It it enables me to do fun stuff. I'm building memories. Hey, Dave, you're the guy on the radio that says true wealth is the memories in relationships anyway. You tell me I shouldn't go You know, make memories? Like, no. <laughs> I'm not. But what I'm telling you is don't go buy an a-, a liability, calling it an asset, and trying to rationalize it in your budget when you can't afford it. Right. Okay. <laughs> like, you just want it. How bad? Exactly. It's like, well, I just want it and I'm willing to make bad financial decisions to rationalize it. No, it doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, if somebody else does it, you point at them and be like, well, that was pretty stupid. And you're like, look, the lift kit on your truck isn't an asset okay it doesn't mean you can't get a lift kit but you need to be able to afford it Mm -hmm. okay assets are things that should be appreciating in value so once you kind of understand the difference between building the your balance sheet with assets versus liabilities you could start to see how your net worth is either growing or not based on what you're purchasing right Mm -hmm. okay so now back to your original budget justin right, this, this 50, 30, 20 budget, okay, now the 20% that's really dedicated to purchasing assets. Right?
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean,
0: if we think about it as I got 50% that's like my my life essentials, so right. food, shelter, clothing, that kind of stuff that has, you know, I got to pay the mortgage. I don't need to get the biggest house on the block, but I need to get one that's adequate, right, or, right. A, you know, a apartment or whatever it may be. Those expenses, and by the way taxes, mm-hmm. right? That's going to happen, right? That needs to be part of your factoring. Yep. The thirty percent is an interesting animal, right? That's the discretionary because guess what else? If I tell you you can't have any fun, you know what you're going to tell me?
1: I'm going to go have fun.
0: Yeah, it's it's like there will be choice expletives <laughs> right. and then you're going to go do it anyway. So you you can't have a budget that's all work and no play. Right. You can save yourself broke and then you'll go nuts. OK, we've right. all heard the story about like the hermit that's got money boarded up in the walls or something. And then they die and nobody finds it until later. Right, And then you go, well, what was the point of that? OK, so let's not go to that extreme. You got it. But but you budget for your fun, too. Right? right. Hey, I got this much money that's discretionary. And if I light it on fire because I like the color, I guess that's. don't don't actually do that you're not supposed to burn money that's actually against the law but in theory right all right go buy a ream of paper and burn that if you want (laughs) whatever (laughs) yeah you follow me right yes you follow me so we build discretion into our budgets on purpose okay because otherwise you'll never stick to it right okay but here's the fun thing about it uh you could take these budgets you know there's more than God budgets how many different budgets are there
1: and, i mean different for every person
0: and that's that there's there's these different budget philosophies i mean you can mm-hmm. just budget to the to infinity you know is it the 50 30 20 or is it the 50 20 30 right. or the 50 30 20, wait a minute is it a 40 40 20 I, I, I don't care
1: 70 right? 20 10
0: yes and then you could get into uh, you know as a certified financial planner there's all these categories like well don't spend more than 35 percent on your your lodging right, right. Uh, don't spend more than 25 percent on your or you know no more than 10 percent on debt payment so if you know if you got to have more than 10 percent debt payment then you'll have too much debt okay right. not excluding your mortgage right now that always makes me scratch my head going did the CFP board just say it's cool to carry credit card debt? <laughs> Because I don't say that, right. right? And I'm a CFP, and I go like, no, no, I'm not going to go tell you to buy things on a credit card, especially if they're depreciating assets and pay for them over time. It's going to cost you more.
1: Right.
0: We, want, we want financial efficiency, right? We want that <laughs> dollar to work. So it starts by not paying the stupid tax whenever you can avoid it. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack a few concepts today. Now. Justin and I have the benefit of working together. And I challenged him today uh, on one of my pacing sessions. Okay, and, and, and These he happen can, often. Yeah, it, which he can explain what that means, the pacing session. But we talked about what are the characteristics of building wealth. We're going to unpack some of that today. We're not talking about the budget anymore. Budget's right. how you spend your money. I want to talk about the asset side of the balance sheet, how you build wealth, what that looks like. But speaking of building wealth, we have to take an insane, an insane profit break first for this station. So we will do that, and then on the flip side, we will be talking about how to build your net worth. Stick around; we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn I'm Justin and Justin Bruggeman. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. That's the music. Says we're back, so we are back. Welcome to The True Well Show. This is your host, Dave Littlejohn. Joining me in studio.
1: Justin Bruggeman.
0: And a reminder, you can get caught up on all of the good stuff on this fantastic Tunday uh, post-Labor Day event here uh, on our podcast. It's available if you go to littlejohnfs.com. That's uh, financial services, right? Super clever because Fs and Ss never sound right on microphones. But littlejohnfs.com. And you can check out the uh, Educate tab. It's like under the What We're About. If you hover over it, it drops down. There's Educate, Plan, and Invest. Look in the Educate tab, and you will find all these podcasts, including this one. So, Justin, you know, I asked you, the, the first of all, the pacing moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, this happens often in our office, yes. right? Do we actually have grooves in the carpet yet?
1: Not yet. We do need to build a little track around the. Around right. the I think so. Table.
0: This is where Dave gets his steps in for the day, because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I pace around our conference room table. I just yep. take laps and, and talks and ramble. I think. <laughs> yep. I'm, a, I'm a bit of an auditory processor.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> we get a lot of information out of it for sure.
0: Yeah, so. I asked the question to Justin because uh, I'm going to give a presentation to a private group, and I was I was asked about how do you build wealth, hmm. and there's a pretty standard financial advisor answer, isn't yeah, there? There is. What's the, what's the answer? What's it the, it's almost canned, right? Start is,
1: saving early and often.
0: Okay, so early and often, and, and what do you do?
1: Invest it. Yeah, Usually. you, you yeah, invest, invest
0: it, right? And and what are we told that you know largely over the long term just investing in i mean stocks in general and what what's a typical returns for long long term like over the last 50 to 75 years of say for equities like uh, large stocks 9
1: to 12% probably yeah
0: somewhere between 9 and 12% depending mm. on how you measure and so you you look to double your money at that pace somewhere between you know, every 6 to 9 years mhm okay and that's a rule of 72 if you haven't seen that one uh you can google it i'm not gonna go into it right now it's a great rule but the rule of 72 super handy for how long what rate of return and how long before you double your money okay so invest early and often why is that the advice
1: because it's a simple advice
0: it's simple and guess what else it's, it's what pays the advisor. Right. That's true. <laughs> right? That's I mean, true. come on. For years, it's yeah. been, hey, let's sell mutual funds because, oh, no, it doesn't cost you anything. The mutual fund pays us. Right. Right? And that's true. Mutual funds typically had an expense in them and then paid the advisor. And so that's how they got paid was by buy these mutual funds. And then we had the no-load fund show up, right? right. Which is what?
1: Uh, Zero upfront costs.
0: Right, it's a mutual fund that's wholesale. There's no commission structure for the person selling it because you can buy it yourself. Right. Right? That was the world of the discount broker. You could go online and you could use software and you can do stuff yourself. Right. So we got got a whole new realm of DIY capacity. Uh, I mean, think about 50 years ago, like the Merrill Lynch stockbroker had information you didn't have.
1: Right? I mean like that's right. that's
0: crazy to think about, but it used to be there was an information advantage right. to the broker. And then we got this crazy thing out there called the internet <laughs> and it just democratized access to information. Right? And now largely almost everything is available for free out there. You want to know what the the primary difference is as I can tell? How quick you can get it so if you pay for information you can get it faster mm-hmm. or you can get it aggregated and easier to access it's not distributed where you have to curate it yourself right you know you want to go to 400 different websites and build the information yourself right. you can do it for free or you can go to you know ABC paid subscription and they'll do it for you
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay so That's it's right. no longer the information then what role does the advisor have That's yeah, radio. You can't think quietly. You have to, yeah, you know, and it's it's all the other stuff. Right. Right? I mean, in, investing is almost hygiene. I know it sounds crazy to say, but you expect your professional to help you find investments. Right. That's really not the super valuable part of what you hire them
1: for. Well, I mean, it would be more if, the service and the extra that you yeah, get out of it as well. it's
0: all the other stuff. Yeah. It's the... The, the tax navigation mm-hmm. it's the uh the advice it's the, it's the stuff that comes up in real life should I refinance my house or not right. should I sell my house and downsize uh my kids got to go to college how do we work that stuff out mm-hmm. it's all these different rules and regulations around the the various investment types I mean how many people uh it's it's interesting to me I mean like like dealing with the 1031 transaction. If you're wondering what the heck that is, if you sell real estate and you want to defer your taxes, you can actually do that. What about uh, risk management? Right. I, 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 what do I need to have insurance or not? Well, you go to an yeah. insurance agent, and their job is to what?
1: Sell you insurance.
0: Sell you insurance, right? <laughs> Versus going to a, a fiduciary environment where they should, if they, if they're going to get paid for it, they should be disclosing. Their interest. Yes. Right? So it's a different engagement now because it turns out, I don't know about you, Justin, but I only have twenty-four hours in the day.
1: Right. Me too.
0: Right? And some of them I'm not really conscious. (laughs) Like whether I want to or not, I have to sleep for some of those. And I've got family obligations and other stuff. I'll I I run out of hours to do everything. So you start partnering with other parties to balance this out and that's where I think the financial professional that if, if you're working with a good pro it's about that partnership right okay so now that we've kind of established what's that why the why the whole song and dance right why, why did I why did I just take us all down this journey because what's the first thing financial advisors say invest
1: early and often
0: early and often okay? What are the other things that we don't talk about when building wealth? So I'm, I'm going to set you up for this, Justin. Uh, does Jeff Bezos invest early and often? No. Yeah, or no. I, if he does, I we don't, don't know. Yeah, right? We don't we know, don't right? Know. What does he do?
1: Owns a company. Yeah. Owns, owns a, a business.
0: Boatload of Amazon right. stock,
1: right? <laughs> right?
0: And last I checked, Amazon's one of the five biggest companies mm-hmm. on the planet. Uh, I think, I mean, what percentage-wise, right? Do you remember what I, I rattled I think 14% off?
1: 14%. Yeah, I think you're your right. Pacing.
0: I think 14% of Amazon stock, and it was higher than that, but uh, Bezos violated the rule of one, right? You know what the rule of one is? Stick with your first spouse. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> once divorces are expensive, yes. even for billionaires. <laughs> so broke the rule of one, yes. and that's expensive. So, now you've got this guy, and, and and so, did Jeff Bezos just, I mean, if he didn't invest early and often, so then the way to become elite wealth is clearly not to invest early and often, right?
1: Right. Wrong!
0: Wrong. Who's, uh, Warren Buffett. That's okay? true, okay. Top 10 yeah. bazillionaire on the planet. You know what he did? He invested early and often, until... Right. He had so much money he could buy entire companies, right. and Berkshire Hathaway was born. And they started acquiring, And like, you know what? When Warren Buffett like goes to buy stock, you know what he does? He buys like entire railroads, right? right? Okay. Prudential real estate over right. on uh, Mulholland used to be Prudential. Now it's Berkshire Hathaway. Okay. <laughs> right? no. It was a blue sign. Now it's purple. <laughs> so. I mean, that's what happens when your organization buys whole companies, right? It's a holding company. So uh, there's more than one path to bazillions, but we don't always talk about the different paths. How is Bezos different than Buffett?
1: Because he developed a business first, I guess, you well, that we know of.
0: Yeah. So he got started. Well, I remember this is I'm I'm aging myself here, but I remember being at the business school at the University of North Carolina, Keenan Flagler Business School and uh, case studies around Amazon as it was just being developed. And all they did was book sales online back when Barnes and Noble was stomping him. Right. They Uh were way better at books than Amazon. How could Amazon, po- like really, you're selling books? And there's even a whole story why it was books. Because that was what? cheap, that's what you okay. could get. Right, it started out of a garage. It's that story of building something up but having a much bigger business model and, and where it was headed. Now, Bezos did something else that I think a lot of entrepreneurs miss. You know what it, and, and so they, they'll build uh, this so it's it's the difference. Is another Kiyosaki thing, right? I don't think I've ever shared this on the radio before. By the way, have you ever heard of the cash flow quadrant? No. Oh, Justin, we gotta we gotta get you up to speed on this. Uh, so first, let's let's take one step back. How does one increase their
1: earnings? Either work more hours or make more money.
0: Well, work more hours or make more money, but there's there's really only two things that make. An individual more valuable, if if we really play this out, right? So I'll walk you through it. Okay, why does somebody go to school? Right. To learn. Yeah, yeah, it's not a trick question. I'm not. This is not a setup like a gotcha, right? He's just looking at me like, are you going to do this on the radio? Like, no, no. Stay with me. This is it. Really is this obvious? So it's to, to learn more skills, right? Right. And you want more skills because.
1: You want to make more money
0: right more marketable in the, in the right. workforce okay and so why would you be more marketable to the workforce because you're more specialized more specialized exactly so more specialized means that what you have is something that everybody else doesn't have right right so what you're doing is you're you're finding your way into a niche that's more specialized and therefore more scarce right, right? like why is gold more valuable than gravel
1: there's not an infinite supply. Yeah, because yeah, gravel's everywhere, right? <laughs> right?
0: Gravel's like, "No, you throw gravel away, there's more." Okay? Gold is a finite, rare resource. Right. Scarcity is what makes something more valuable. Like like do you think LeBron James is more valuable as a person than a teacher?
1: No. No.
0: Do you think that LeBron James' skill set is more rare than a teacher? Yes.
1: Yes, <laughs> right? right away. Quite.
0: Well, and so that when people say it's not cool that our pro athletes get paid more than teachers. Well, I don't disagree on like a societal value spectrum. Like the teacher's doing something more important from a social value perspective than playing basketball. Right. But it's not rarer. Right. Right? LeBron is super scarce. There not many of, or you know, I use him, but pick your favorite athlete, right? Tom Brady or whatever. Like super rare athlete Super, super talented, and people are willing to pay to buy tickets to watch them. Right. By the majillions, okay, and that's a whole different concept. Is that's the, the, you know that's the other half of this. But what LeBron James or Tom Brady does is scarce, mm-hmm. so it's valuable. What's the other thing that they do? Because there's, there's one of the you can either think, be really scarce or you can do one other thing. You can leverage it. Leverage it. How is Tom Brady leveraging his skill set as a football player? For example, well, I think Tom's retired now, but no, you know, he's he's still there. But oh my not. gosh, Tom Brady's <laughs> like he's going to become Brett Favre. So, but why? Like, how does it work? How's he leveraging?
1: Well, could with commercials and athletic right. wear, and it's like, like that.
0: that the the simple the ticket sales, right? And it's sales, one yeah. to many. He mm-hmm. plays that football game. But then millions of eyeballs watch him, and he gets a tiny little piece of every of those million eyeballs watching him because all the advertisers, he's the, he's the bait, right? right? Tom Brady's bait. And then the advertisers, are, you're the fish, right? They're just <laughs> catching you with the bait. And they're paying him a little bit to be the bait. Mm-hmm. But he's getting paid by a bajillion people. right? So that's the model, like scarcity and leverage. How do we apply this? to the business landscape we do it by taking an obscene profit break first and covering it after the break <laughs> all right so with that we will take a break and we'll be right back i'm dave littlejohn and justin brogerman and you're listening to true wealth on news radio 1240 KQED. All right, gang, welcome back to The True Wealth Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with... Justin Brugman. And Justin, we have been taking our listeners on the wealth journey today, right? How how do you build wealth?
1: Save early and often.
0: Save early and often. That's standard answer for financial advisors. Good job. And why do advisors say that so often?
1: Because that's what they get paid to do.
0: And because it works, <laughs> right? It does work, right? If you start young, it's amazing how the money will do the work for you. But this is a really natural segue into another category that's not often talked about. And again, I'm going to go back and reference something from Robert Kiyosaki, who's an author. It's, you know, If you want to go check him out, he's, he was famous for writing Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But there's a series of books he's written. And like any author that writes on the same topic, I will just forewarn you. If you start reading all the books, there's going to be overlap. And I'm not suggesting I agree with everything in his books. So don't take it out of context here. But there's some good stuff in there. You can mine gems anywhere. And one of his concepts is the cash flow quadrant. And it may not be his. It may be from somebody else. I don't know. But he certainly populated this thing all over the internet. So it looks like this. Draw yourself a box. And then divide the box into four sub boxes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you got to upper left side upper right lower left lower right okay in the upper left in your mind everybody's drawing this okay keep an eye on the road if you're driving don't don't overdraw this in your brain okay but this is where most people fall in the world you have a job you're an employee right. i earn my money and my cash comes through my life because i go to work and somebody pays me to do what they tell them
1: right? right?
0: or what they tell me i should say so The boss says, This is the job. I do the job. I get the money. I can spend the money how I want. And now we have a budget, what, 50, 30, 20, or whatever Uh else we have, right? That's where the money comes from, right? Okay. That's not the only place that you can earn money, right? right? Because if if you've got a job, then you kind of know the terms, they're defined by your employer. Mm -hmm. But you could become self employed, right? Or you have a side hustle, right? But this is the interesting one. Is you don't necessarily, if you work for somebody else, you have a job. If you're self employed, you, you got to be careful because you may just own a job. <laughs> you are the job. Right? Think about that. If you're self employed and if you're not doing the work, then you're not getting paid. Right? Then it's still really just the job. The difference is that, you know, the vacation policy is a little easier to manage with the boss. <laughs> right? Right? But you're, that's how self-employment works. Now, here's an example, and I, you know, we could either be funny about this or pick on this profession or whatever. But uh, a classic example of own a job would be an attorney, okay? Right. And like like a sole operator, small firm kind of deal. So you got a lawyer out there, and uh, Derek Simmons who joins me on the program all the time. He's not here to defend this, which makes this even <laughs> more fun. Uh, so, how does an attorney make money?
1: more hours
0: yeah they they charge by the hour right so if you want to earn more money it's kind of one of two things that you can do that are obvious right charge more or work more yeah charge more or work more okay now let's say you just want to charge ten thousand dollars an hour you better find really rich clients or you better be an amazing (laughs) attorney because at ten thousand dollars an hour you can buy other attorneys that might not be quite as talented but you can buy a lot more of their hours so Mm -hmm. maybe you can in aggregate get to that value so ten thousand dollar an hour attorneys hard to find now there's another thing that attorneys sometimes can do and that is remember scarcity that's being an attorney right oh Mm -hmm. i passed the test and not everybody can be an attorney you can argue whether or not attorneys are scarce enough all you want that's not the point of this show. But what about leverage? Can an attorney leverage? Yes. Yeah. Like, give me an example.
1: Um, For charging a percentage on winnings and.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's say that it's a class action lawsuit or something and there's damages. Maybe they uh, take it on retainer and they recover a percentage of whatever is won on the claim. Right. And, And let's say that claim is gigantic and, you know, they get a third of it or something like that. Then they may actually get well more than their hourly compensation if they're successful in winning a, a significant financial award. Right. right? So that's an example of sort of leverage in that case uh, where they're getting a percentage of something bigger. Right. right? And it's kind of a hokey example for leverage, because I, I think of leverage as, as a little different. Uh, but, but you get the idea. It's no longer hourly, it's contingent. Right. And it's the leverage is based on the size of the contingency that they've taken on. So that kind of brings us, now we've talked about two halves of the cash flow quadrant, right? The upper left is you have a job because you're an employee. Mm-hmm. The lower left is self-employed. But the upper right, this is where you start to figure out the leverage, right? What if you... Own, you're self-employed you own a business but the business is capable of operating largely without you running it right maybe right. You, you're an owner but you have a manager and you have other employees that are running it for you well, now you own a, a system if you will you own a process. processes yeah. and that business earns cash flow and so forth. And you and it's a little bit more of a passive event for you because it doesn't require your day-to-day time as a as an employee in the business. You're an owner sort of existing a, above the operational aspects of it. Instead, you're tr- dealing with strategy. Right. And now you that it's behaving more like an asset or like the next layer of the cash flow quadrant which is the lower right hand which is you're an investor Mm -hmm. and now we're right back to the original financial advisor advice aren't we (laughs) why do we say this because it turns out investorly and often is another way to say buy stuff that will appreciate in value that you don't have to put effort into dealing with it's truly passive in nature Right? Mm-hmm. You, uh, if you own mutual funds or if you own stocks, other than if you go buy stocks, you may have a proxy vote to deal with if you decide whether or not you're going to exercise your right to vote as a shareholder. But largely, you're along for the ride. Right. Right. You're not making managerial decisions. You don't have right. to work in the company. Uh, your risk is that the company goes bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Right. But as a shareholder, your personal assets aren't at risk. You just lose your investment. Right. Okay. But if the company's wildly profitable, Right. Imagine if you were an early investor in Amazon with Jeff Bezos. He was working out of his garage and he said, "Hey, you know, give me a thousand bucks and I'll give you, uh, you know, five percent stake in Amazon." Can you imagine what that would be worth today? I mean, fourteen no. <laughs> percent is worth hundred and ninety-five billion or something. Right? So five percent got to still be worth yeah. You'd be worth what $60, 70 seventy billion. That'd be something, it would
1: right? It'd still work.
0: So. The investment category is really attractive because of how passive it is in nature.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Business ownership is not as passive. Right. Right. It's still pretty passive. Uh, if you're at the very, very top, that's not true. That's not true yeah. at all. It's it, If you're a business owner, you're in the business. Don't get me wrong. But you're not, you're, so you're not passive like an investor, but you do have something that stores value and is typically sellable. A business that operates without you doing the day to day is something that you can sell to somebody else so that they can run it. If you're self-employed and you are the business, really hard to sell you, because right. now you're back to being
1: an employee. Even like what you said earlier, Jeff Bezos has no idea how the package got to my door or who the oh, driver was. That during the pacing session, right. yeah, yeah. It was, it just, it happens, and that's the process It needs to get there in this amount of time.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I was. we were talking about before the show, while we were you know, talking about what we want to talk about, I don't think Jeff Bezos knows the drivers' names, right? right? I mean, like all these people. I mean, there's this tens or maybe hundreds of thousands of people that work for Amazon. Jeff doesn't know them all, right? Right? There's not going to be a company picnic where he's like, "Hey, Joe, what's going on?" <laughs> right. That's not happening, right? You better wear a name tag. Uh, you know, he's he's busy flying in rocket ships and stuff now. Right. He doesn't know how the package gets to your door, but he knows that somebody in the organization is responsible for that. Right. Meanwhile, he's figuring out how big his next yacht's going to be. Right. Right. So. That is different. He's playing at a different level. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so anyway, there you go. So that's the cash flow quadrant. Are you an employee where you work for somebody else? Are you self employed where you own a job? Or are you a business owner where you own a business Mm -hmm. that's doing the job for you? Or finally, do you own an investor? And the spectrum is how passive do you want to be? So let's put this all together, right? But let's do it. After we take our last obscene profit break. Stick around and we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. i Justin Bruggeman. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show. A reminder: podcast at littlejohnfs.com. You'll hunt it down what we're about. Check out the educate tab, and it's in there. And you can hear from me and also my cohort in studio,
1: Justin Bergman,
0: right? And so, Justin, here we are wrapping this up. And the the question that I've sort of posed for our listeners is: so, how do you build wealth?
1: Other than save early and often?
0: So you, so you save early and often. Uh, and I think that's probably the most obvious, by the yes. way, because in the cash flow quadrant, you're going to find yourself in a really the environment where it's really passive, right? Right. Uh, if you're saving early and often, then you, you have to put less work into it. The other is you start doing other business stuff, right? right. Like, like what's a here's a fun one. Where in the cash flow quadrant, I'm, I'm gonna see where Justin's at. Uh, if you think about, remember, employee, self-employed, business owner or investor, where does rental real estate fall?
1: Rental real estate. Yeah, like
0: let's say that you personally were gonna go out and you're gonna buy a duplex and you're gonna go ahead and put that into the marketplace and you're gonna you know get tenants and and rent it out. So where does that fall between Employee, self-employed, business owner, or investor.
1: My, I would say business owner at that point, just because it's, well, I guess the leverage aspect too, the rental property is working for you and paying you a
0: cash. Yeah, I think that that's story. accurate, right? I think a lot of people may leap to the idea that, well, that's an investment, right? Okay. A- and it is, but it's, it's somewhere between the two because the rental is going to require some work, work right? Yeah. But it's not hourly day-to-day work necessarily it's episodic right, right. hey I'm I, you know if I have to go in and uh, you know do repairs or something that's going to be work on an as needed basis right. right okay somebody's got to fix the leaky faucet right but uh, and you got to collect the rent you got to do the stuff that comes with it so you're really running your own little business right, right there right but it is something that it's not dependent on the hours that you put in so you don't own a job do you right Right. It's like owning a little business. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing is banks understand it because, you know, a a real property has collateral value to a bank. Right. So they get it. They understand the risk and reward there. So I like that. I think it's it's somewhere between business owner. And I think there's investment, too, because it's, it's an appreciating asset. But it's just not. Fully passive. It's like a
1: circle between the two.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, we, we would call that the centroid, right? So it's on both lines, it's like on the line in between the two of those quadrants. So yeah, I think that that's cool. So how about a mutual fund? Where does that fall?
1: I would, I would go with investor. Yeah, I think so
0: as well. I think investor is definitely, um, you know, mutual funds passive, you're just dealing with. So how about, uh a a side hustle delivering pizza
1: that would well deliver an employee yeah second job
0: right what about a side hustle developing some uh, selling essential oils
1: that would probably be self-employed
0: yeah right i mean it really is it's there you own the job you got to do that now I, somebody out there. Uh, I just offended a bunch of people that are selling essential oils. Potentially, <laughs> that wasn't really my intent. But at the same time, there's a bunch of people also snickering, going like, "I have seen people tell me that you know essential oils will like heal emotional wounds." I remember reading a blog yeah. post one time about, "I just got dumped by my boyfriend. What essential oil will help?" And I'm like, "I have tears." <laughs> like, I don't know. I felt so insensitive at that point. But like, I don't think an oil is going to work for that. Sorry. <laughs> So somebody out there is listening and going, oh, sure, it does. If you okay. do this, I'm like, all right, I'm out. I got nothing. So <laughs> Anyway, uh, you know, when we sit down with somebody that comes into our office and they're just talking about how do they build wealth? And, and, and so, Justin, what would you tell somebody that's kind of walking in? How do you just sum it up?
1: It really it depends on the person, on what wealth even actually means to them. Because everybody's you no, know, not everybody. Well, is striving to be a Jeff Bezos or something like that. Sure, sure. Um, it just might be people are wanting to retire in comfort and what their means are, so it can vary. Yeah, I, I think you nailed
0: it. By the way, again, set them up, but that one home run. Wealth is personal,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? It's truly personal, and so ultimately, you you design and and what what a financial uh, professional and what a good advisor should help you do is sort of reverse engineer for what you're trying to accomplish right and and if it can't be done they should be able to t- well if it's unlikely to be done right Can't's a powerful word but uh you know hey i want to be a billionaire and go like okay well What's your time horizon? So well, I got about four years. So, well, this is going to be a steep hill. It's going to be hard. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, I got 140 years. It's like, you know, it might actually be surprisingly possible in 140 years. So if you're immortal, then we can make you a billionaire probably. Right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I like that answer, Justin. I and mean, I think it's I think it's uniquely personal. So uh, for, for those of you out there that are trying to figure this out for yourself, I guess the the key takeaway is it's doable, mm-hmm. but it's it's got it's a lot easier with intention. It doesn't happen by accident. Right. Right. So what did we cover? The budget, right? That's the that's the basics. We've talked yeah. about the cash flow quadrant, we've talked about liabilities and assets, and we've talked about scarcity. Scar- scarcity and leverage. So you can see these are fundamental building blocks of the financial system. By getting a good handle on those, you can then design for the outcome you're looking for. If you would like help, Justin, how do they
1: reach us? Uh five four one three seven five zero eight nine eight or on our website at www.littlejohnfs.com. All right,
0: he nailed it, and there is the music gang. So we are short on time, but just a reminder that if if you do, uh, if you're looking for just a second opinion or some guidance, we'd be delighted to give you a hand, get you pointed in the right direction. Check out littlejohnfs.com. There's plenty of free tools there, uh, or you can also schedule an appointment with anybody here. So until next time, uh, we are out of time, so we got to run. But thanks for tuning in. This is David Littlejohn and Justin Bergman, and you've been listening to True Well on News Radio 1240. KQEN.